Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama Sambuddhasa Buddham Jamang Sangam Namasami After several years of investigating, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission made its report of the story, the legacy of Canada's worst past, the worst part of Canada's history which has to do with the setting up of residential schools for Aboriginal children all over the country to remove, to extirpate the Aboriginal culture. I believe over 150,000 children were separated from their families and communities and housed in these schools. And this went on for about 126 years. But now, having established that kind of body of investigators, witnesses, survivors of the schools, bearing witness to and speaking to what happened to their families, to them, and what devastation they experienced, our country has made an important step It's only a step, but it's a very important direction to move towards truth, to bring forth the truth and acknowledge this is what happened. This is what we've done. These schools were funded by the Churches of Canada. What is the feeling that we have when we think about this past? We don't feel good about it. We we bear shame for a decision that was made in all good conscience by people who lacked wisdom, lacked conscience somehow that they could allow this kind of thing to happen on such a large scale. The Aboriginal people remain very badly affected by the atrocities committed. But there is a light shining on that. And reconciliation doesn't happen just by saying, yes, I made a mistake and this happened. But it begins by articulating, by taking responsibility, by acknowledging, by wanting reconciliation and forgiveness, by speaking the truth, by letting it be heard, by giving it space for those wounds to heal. This is a powerful example for us of what each of us has to do individually in our own lives with the actions that we commit, with the decisions that we have made, and then look back in horror or with shame. We bear shame. Then what is important for us to do is to have a time of truth 
speaking to actions we've committed, speech we've spoken, bombs we have thrown in the direction of other beings that harmed them, damaged them, interfered in their lives in unskillful ways. The more that we're able to do that, the more chance we have of bringing together within our own bodies and minds the factors of reconciliation and forgiveness, not only for ourselves, for what we might have done out of ignorance, out of lack of understanding, out of lack of maturity, out of our own suffering. The more we can do that, the greater is the chance for us to forgive ourselves and forgive all the conditions that came together to create those atrocities or those acts and words that harmed, betrayed, deceived, disturbed, killed the goodness in others, the kindness held out towards us, the love, the friendship, the truth that others were trying to hold us with. And the truth that is ever trying to arise within us. Because really, as spiritual beings on a human journey, we are, all of us, yearning for what is true. And it is only out of ignorance that we keep turning to what is not true and believing that it's true. Turning to what is false and believing that it is not false. In the way that we turn towards games or entertainments, not diving deeper into our own hearts. We can keep distracting ourselves, believing that these distractions are a support and will help us to be numb to the things that are difficult to remember. That we can just somehow shove them under the carpet and forget. But just like those murmurings and dark whispers that continue to see where wrongs have been committed, even as those do not disappear, but they undermine our ability to quiet the unrest and to erase the wrongs, they cannot be erased. Relentlessly, the truth finds its way back into the open. If not in this lifetime, then at some other juncture, another birth, another generation, another century, whenever the conditions arise, those truths come forth and they have to be acknowledged. So eventually we have to take responsibility. Therefore, the sooner that we can make reparation, the sooner that we can remember and say, okay, I have not acted skillfully, and this is how. We gather towards us a loved one, someone we trust, and articulate that. I've spoken. I've acted. I have felt. I am caught in anger. I am caught in regret. 
I'm caught in fear of what I've done or in fear of what has happened to me. And in my unwillingness to fall into conditions, I have fallen into them. Now, what do I do? Just by bringing that out into the open, we make ourselves eligible, available for reconciliation, for a forgiveness that must come to bear, that must come forth, that will save us, that will free us, that will bring us closer to the power of our own spirituality, the rawness of it, the energy of it. That's what we long to bring forth. And instead, we're busy distracting into many directions. If we can do this for each other, then we can certainly do it as a nation. The nation is struggling to do it, but on an individual level, we still really don't know how to establish these committees, the committee of people, a force coming together. However, as Dhamma practitioners, we do have that resource. That's what we're doing here. We come together as a committee of disciples seeking the discipleship that enables us to silently bring forth and allow the truth to resonate and percolate forth in the heart. And we feel the things that might be frightening to feel, but we face them. Let us not practice superficially, just seeking escape from the stress of the world. But let us practice in a way that enables us to dig deeply into the bone marrow of our lives, to uncover and discover what is it that really ails us. Is there any shame there? Is there regret? What are we frightened of? What memories do we shun? What people do we avoid? What beings do we bear ill will towards? What do we feel towards ourselves? Do we feel a feeling of kindness, of self-esteem, of well-being, of contentment? Just to be alive, of gratitude. Do we feel able to share that quality within us with others? What do we run away from? These are questions for us when we're practicing not just to sit quietly and hope that our thoughts will stop so we can have a little bit of peace, but use this practice as a river in which to dive for the treasures of truth within us and to pull them out of the sand and bring them up into the open air and see what treasures we carry within us or what detritus, what kind of garbage is buried there and just clean it out because what will be left is treasure. And if we've been cleaning, we can rejoice. We're busy 
cleaning on the outside. We do lots of laundry and wear deodorants and perfumes and use very fancy soaps to disguise the body odors, but there's another kind of odor that comes forth. It's a quality of the being that is not happy, that is not content, that is restless, anxious, panicky, fearful, mistrusting, despairing, resentful, irritated, complaining, whining, feeling exhausted, burdened, stressed, and subjecting ourselves to conditions that are really not serving our spirituality. They only serve our bank accounts, our desires for certain kinds of comforts and possessions that we don't actually need. If we can really simplify our lives more and more, then we need not be so stressed out to keep working in situations that don't fulfill our inner heart's yearning, that don't respect us for what we are. Because in that way we live our life decade after decade and at the end of it we're still thirsty, we're still hungry. We look outside of ourselves to meet the being that might be fulfilled when actually that being could be us. We could be the being that is fulfilled. But we need to make wise choices more and more. And the wisest choice is to do the inner cleansing. So it's truth and reconciliation on a large scale or even on a more minor, subtle scale. Whatever amount of truth and reconciliation we've been doing in our lives, rejoice for that. And if we haven't been doing it, begin and probe and examine deeply, investigate. Find a trusted friend that will listen to the stories that you can't speak about so that you can really extirpate that rather than have our spiritual inheritance stolen from us. As monastics, we have a very beautiful practice, which is that we undertake a set of precepts and we don't bargain. I like this one, but I don't like that one. We just take the whole package and keep it as a way of honoring our teacher and trying to really follow his template. And there are certain rules. And we train our minds. If we commit errors, we have a formula and a way of purifying them. Every two weeks, you can meet with a sister and speak, confess. I've done this, I've done that. As soon as you pronounce that, then we purify our minds. Reconciliation and forgiveness are the running threads of the holy life. This is such a gift. It means that we cannot live this life without having this policy of reconciliation. So, as 
disciples of an enlightened master. This is what we must do. We want to purify and raise ourselves up out of the dross of the world and not follow the worldly winds for our own health and well-being. And then we can rejoice. Our life will be going from one strength to another. We can rejoice like those people out there. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) What good will it do us? We're striving to score a much bigger goal. It is a purification, it's a process. It doesn't happen just by coming on Friday night. And we have to do this day by day. We have to take purification seriously. We're so interested, I I marvel how interested we are in eating the purest kind of food. This has become a cultural mainstream obsession. Even chocolate bars, they're organic and it's a certain kind of bean or coffee and the label and it's won an award, it's approved by this and that commission that it's pure organic from this co-op and this picture of the farmer and he's smiling. They've all successfully produced this and it's the best chocolate in the whole world. And people are very concerned about these kind of specific nutriments for the body. All these kind of luxury foods that are now being marketed and you can order from Amazon. It's become just the way of the world. But what are we ordering for the heart? What kind of nutriment are we using to feed the heart? Is it the most organic? Is it the purest? Is it the highest quality? Is it the best? Or are we cheaply spending our time? My father always used to tell me, cheap is expensive. (laughs) (laughs) I see that on a spiritual level, how very true that is. How very potent that if we spend our time playing games instead of turning the wheel of Dhamma, even traveling, how many countries do you have to see and how many exotic experiences do we have to have in the world? How much will that satisfy the yearning in here? How much will that purify our minds? then how many photos can you jam into your pocket computer? And how many hours will we spend flipping through all our cool photographs? But really, even if we didn't have a single photograph to look at, if we could look at the mind and find that it is pure, that there is no unhappiness, there is no fluttering, There is no craving going on in there. That would be the greatest cause for celebration. Then we would have really achieved the goal. We have to examine what goal we are trying to achieve and really work for it.
We're never too old to do this, to work for the highest. You can do it from just your sitting room, from your bed. You can do it on your deathbed. We can aim for the highest. It might be a little strenuous when we're sick and tired and life is ebbing, but it's still possible. But let us not wait for that. Let us hasten to that which really frees us and supports us. I wanted to share with you a very lovely verse by Bada Kundala Kesa. Bada was a, a woman of the time of the Buddha. Kundala Kesa means curly hair. So Bada of the curly hair. Bada was from a very good family and she married a man that she fell in love with and he was a thief. He came from a, a wealthy family but he had the inclination to steal. So when he got married to Bada, he wanted to steal her family jewels. So he arranged to go up to a mountain with her and he was going to push her off the mountain. But Bada was so clever that she talked him out of it. She talked him out of it and ended up pushing him off the mountain. (laughs) And then she felt so bad about it, she just could not bear the horror of what she had done. So she gave up the world and became an ascetic. And she wandered all over India. She became a Jain. But she got a little disillusioned with the Jain religion and she was just wandering around and listening to every teacher she could listen to and she became so learned. She read all the scriptures and could recite and argue and win a debate with anyone. For 50 years she wandered. And then finally she came to Sawati, the Teta Grove, where Sariputta was living. And she heard about this Sariputta, the wisest disciple of the Buddha with the greatest power of analysis. So she decided to challenge him in debate. And anybody that she challenged in debate, she would build a pile of sand. And if they trampled on it, then that meant they were ready to debate her. So when she came and built her pile of sand in the Teta Grove, Sariputta heard of her arrival and as a sign of his willingness to debate he sent some children out and they trampled on the sand. So she said, aha, he's willing to debate me. She was confident that she would win. So she went to the Jeta Grove accompanied by a large number of people. Bada sat down and asked Sariputta, a number of questions, and he answered every single question. That really surprised her. She had nothing left to ask him. And the very first question Sariputta asked her was, What is the one? Bada remained silent. She couldn't think, what is it? It couldn't be God. It couldn't be Brahma. That's too easy. What did he mean? Well, 
the master would have been nutriment. And here he is. What is the one thing that everyone feeds on? Nutriment. We are all sustained on nutriment, the food and nutriment of the mind. Bada lost the debate, and right away she knew that she had found what she was looking for. After 50 years. So she chose Sariputta as her teacher. Sariputta referred Bada to the Buddha. Look at the humility. And so when she came to the Buddha, the Buddha preached the Dhamma to her at Mount Vulture Peak. And this is the verse that he concluded with. Though a thousand verses are made of meaningless lines, better the single meaningful line by hearing which one is at peace. You could spend your whole life reading volumes of books, kindles of literature, of philosophy, of doctrine, of ideas. You could fill your mind with zillions of words, on and on, thinking, debating, and arguing points of doctrine. But if you can come to a single meaningful line that gives you peace, then that is much more than all the words, all the thoughts that can go on in the mind. This is what the Buddha offered her. Such a wonderful teaching from the Dhammapada. Bhada was declared foremost amongst the nuns that attained arahanship faster than anyone else. This is Bhada's beautiful verse. I traveled before in a single cloth with shaven head covered in dust, thinking of faults in the faultless. While in the faulty, seeing no faults, wandering through the world and debating and believing in all that. When done was the day's abiding, I went to Mount Vulture Peak and saw the stainless Buddha. By the order of bhikkhus, that one is revered. Then before him, with my hands in Anjali, Humbly, I bowed down on my knees, and he said, Come, Bada. And thus I was ordained. Debt free, I have traveled for fifty years. In Anga, Magadha, in Vaji, in Kasi, and Kosala, living on the alms of the land, that lay supporter. Wise man indeed, may many merits accrue to him who gave a robe to Bada for free of all ties is she. Just by hearing one line of truth, her heart was set free. So don't search too much in the world of ideas or in the world of activity, but look deeply into your own heart 
and listen to the teachings given through the enlightened master, through the Buddha, and through the Buddhas of all time, through the Pacheka Buddhas, through whatever wise tradition you follow, if you find that one truth that will set your heart free, go beyond the whirling of the world and taste the deathless in your own heart. This is Bada's encouragement, and mine as well, mm-hmm. 2,600 years later. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.